Our Father, remember your word to your servants in which you have made us hope. This is our comfort in our affliction that your promise gives us life. Your words have been our songs in the house of our sojourning. So by your spirit, please now show us Christ in your word, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in God's word to the gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Our text for this morning will be the first six verses of Matthew chapter 1. But to give us the context for the whole, we'll read the whole genealogy as we find it in the first 17 verses. Let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon." And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, Well, Whenever I read this genealogy, I'm reminded of uh, when I was first a pastoral intern. One of the first visits I ever did was visiting a lady who was shut in in an old folks' home. And they always told us, you should go there prepared to read something, but always ask the person if they would like, have something else they would like for you to read to them. So I had come all prepared to read Psalm 27 with this dear old saint. And she, I said, you know, I'm going to read Psalm 27 unless there's something else you would like me to read. And she said, would you read me the genealogy from Matthew's gospel? 
And I said, okay, um, because you do what you're asked to do in those situations. And I read for her the genealogy. uh, And as I read, you know, trying to figure out why is she asking me to do this? Is this for her entertainment to see how many of the names I get wrong? Um, Which is the chief source of our entertainment as pastors read these lists. Um, and I just thought, what, 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 what does she, why does she want to hear this and what does she want me to make of it? Um, and so I, I finished and I, I said, you know, can I ask you why you wanted me to read you this genealogy? And she said, well, because I always read it when I do my reading through the Bible through the year, but I've never known why it's there. Um, and so we had a very profitable dis- discussion about why it's there. And I think that's often the challenge for God's people when we come to these lists of names in the Bible. We're not as obsessed with genealogies as they were. You know, when when Timothy, when Paul's writing to Timothy and says, you know, don't get sucked in by those people who love to go through genealogies endlessly. That's not that's not a command we find hard to follow. Uh, We're not really interested in genealogies, and sometimes, frankly, we wonder why they were so interested with genealogies. And why, if you were going to write an account of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you start with a genealogy? Uh, That's a question I like asking every time I go to one of the Gospels. If I were going to write a Gospel, where where would I begin? Uh, Matthew begins with a genealogy. Um, And I thought it would be good for us to take some time to look at this genealogy, to think about the names that are included in the genealogy, the spiritual purpose for which Matthew includes this, and really this, the purpose for which the Holy Spirit inspired him to start this way, with a consideration of the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew has a clear purpose in his writing. He has a clear purpose in why he starts the way he does, in what he wants to communicate about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one commentator stated it this way, Matthew's purpose is to depict Jesus as the messianic king, the son of David, whose history fulfills the revelation of the Old Testament. Matthew's purpose is to present Jesus as standing squarely in the center of the historical movement of revelation and redemption. In other words, the purpose of this genealogy is to show that everything in the Bible has been pushing towards this moment. That everything in Revelation, everything in the history of God's people has been moving towards this great event. This is the fulfillment of everything that had been written about in the Old Testament. All the promises that God had made, everything that was written is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew wants us to understand that Christ comes into the world as king. And that his coming is the central moment in this world. Uh, that all of history has been driving towards this and finds its focal point in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to think about this genealogy and think about why that's such good news. Uh, why we would call this a gospel. It's good news because not only has this time been spoken of in the Old Testament, but the time has become a reality. The Lord that was promised has come, and he has come as king. Uh, Matthew's concerned to tell us about the king. So we want to think about this genealogy together, particularly in this first section of the genealogy. I want to think primarily about the first six verses, that first period of time from Abraham to David, from patriarch to king, 
as we see the royal line created. Um, And what do we see in this history from Abraham to David, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we see promises fulfilled through particular people who are on a pilgrim path. And that's how I want to think about this passage together with you, to see God's promises fulfilled through particular people who are on a pilgrim path. That's why I want to think about this passage together with you. This is a story of promises fulfilled. When we think of Abraham and David, we cannot but think of the great covenant promises that were made to them in the Old Testament. Uh, We can take them a little out of order because I want to talk more about David next time, Lord willing. But we remember the great covenant promise that was made to David as king. We have that promise recorded for us in 2 Samuel 7, where God makes the promise that there will always be a descendant of David to rule on his throne, that his line will endure, that he will always have a king reigning in his place. God swears that oath to him in covenant, makes that promise that David will always have a son to reign on the throne. Um, And this genealogy is a reminder that that promise has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, we're told in verse 1, the son of David. Um, Now that's not just a historical marker or a a genealogical note that David is in Jesus' family tree. The son of David has a particular force for Matthew's readers. That had become the shorthand way people referred to the Messiah who was coming. You know, that God had promised one day a Messiah will come. That Messiah will be the son of David who will reign in power. And God's people are always looking for that son of David who is going to come. And so there's a particular punch to this genealogy when Matthew begins by saying the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That's an announcement to his readers. That's, that's a claim that the one I'm about to tell you about is the king. He is the Messiah that God's people have been waiting for. He is the great fulfillment to the promise made to David, that there will be a son always to reign on his throne. And this is the son who will come and not only reign, but will reign forever. Uh, This genealogy doesn't maybe punch us the way it would have punched Matthew's readers. Right? For us, oftentimes the genealogy is that list of names we skip before we get to the good stuff. Um, but for, for this, this is, a, this is a mighty claim right out of the gate. This is a genealogy of the son of David. This Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David come into the world in fulfillment of the promise that was made to David. He is the one who will come and deliver God's people. The promise has been fulfilled. That's what Matthew is saying. The king has come. The Messiah has arrived and his name is Jesus. He is the Christ who saves his people from their sins. But notice that he's also called the son of Abraham. That's a reminder of another covenant promise that God made in the Old Testament. The great covenant promise that was made to Abraham. We know that the covenant promise was made to Abraham in Genesis 12. Abraham is the father of all the faithful. 
There's a certain sense in which Genesis 1 through 11 is a prologue to the covenant made with Abraham, the beginning of the, the history of God's people in that covenant form uh, that, that Abraham takes up as the father of all the faithful and the father of many nations. The great promise that God made to Abraham in covenant in Genesis 12, 2 through 3. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And those covenant promises continue to come to further clarity in the life of Abraham. In Genesis 15, the covenant becomes more clear. In Genesis 17, the covenant becomes more clear. But the promises all stem from that first promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12. And it's the last part of those promises that we particularly want to focus on. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just your family will be great, but in your family, all families will be blessed. There's a blessing coming from your people uh, that will bless the whole earth. And part of Matthew's point is Jesus is also that one son promised to Abraham who will be the one through whom the whole world will be blessed. That he is that promised seed of Abraham who will come into the world and make God's people blessed. That even though his promise begins with that one covenant people, it's always been intended for all people. Um, that that was what the son of Abraham was come to do, to bless all people. It's interesting, that's also where Matthew's gospel ends. With Christ commissioning the disciples to go out to all the world. Uh, to, to not just begin where, with where God's people are, but to go beyond those borders, to go beyond Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all nations, that Christ might be a blessing to all. We see that promise being fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the promised son of Abraham through whom blessing will come to all the families of the earth. This is a gigantic promise that Matthew is making. Um, before he writes anything, he's making big guarantees. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That too is something that we don't realize the punch of putting it that way uh, for Matthew's readers. Because the person whose genealogy it is, is the most important person in the genealogy. Um, and so we, we have a, a parallel to that in Genesis 5, where we, we read, this is the book of the genealogy, the book of the generations of, of the sons of Adam. Well, what does that do for someone in the Old Testament period of time? It signals for them, Adam is the most important person here. And these are all his sons. These are the descendants of Adam. It, it focuses for you that Adam is the most important person on this list. So it probably wouldn't have bothered anyone so much if Matthew had started this gospel and said, this is the book of the genealogy of Abraham, whose son was Jesus. Or this is the book of the, of the genealogy of David, whose son was Jesus. Because everyone reading would have said, Abraham's an important person. David's an important person. 
But notice how Matthew begins. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What does that signal to someone who's reading this in Matthew's day? Jesus is the most important person on this list. Everything else revolves around Jesus. Whoever this person is, Jesus Christ, he's bigger than Abraham. And he's bigger than David. He's the most important person on this list. It's because he is the Christ, the anointed one, the one who was promised and who has now come into the world. This is a huge statement that Matthew makes right out of the gate. He's making big claims. He's making big claims that are going to be shown throughout the history that the promises of God have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ through the particular people God has raised up throughout the generations. Uh, That's going to be the thrust of Matthew's gospel. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament promised And that these promises have been fulfilled through particular people. Jesus doesn't just magically appear on the scene. Jesus comes from a family. He has a family tree. And the genealogy reminds us of that family history. The particular people through whom Jesus came. Um, And it's it's well worth taking the time to look at that list of people. And to think about the kind of people they were. Um, Because we we think to ourselves, you know, if I could choose my family, and God alone can choose his family, what kind of family would I choose? We always say your family are the people you're stuck with. Don't tell my mom and dad I said that. Um, Your family are the people you're stuck with. Uh, but, But God comes and has the ability to choose his family. And this is the family he chooses. And what kind of people are they? Well, at first glance, they're not that great a group of people. Um, You know, I think there's a tendency to look at this list of names and sort of, you know, to nod solemnly and say, yes, yes, what great people. Um, but, But this isn't a hero hall of fame exactly. It's more like a rogues gallery when you think about what these people were like and the accounts of them that we have in the scriptures. We might be tempted to look at them and to say, this is a kind of surprising and somewhat scandalous group of people. I mean, Abraham was an idolater when he was called by God. Joshua 24.2 tells us he was serving foreign gods. Didn't always do the best by his wife either when there were dangerous moments in their marriage. Um, We can think of Jacob, who was a schemer, a cheater, a liar. We think about Judah, who wanted to kill his brother, but instead settled for selling him into slavery, who lied to his father about his death, who had a child by his daughter-in-law Tamar after denying her the husband who was rightfully hers and was himself a fornicator and an adulterer. Tamar's included in this list. She got children from Judah by trickery and immorality. Reminded of Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute, and Ruth, who was a Moabitess. 
The Moabites were the people who were the most alienated from God, the people they were most likely not to have anything to do with. Um, At first glance, this hardly reads like a, a list of honorable people, a list of people that you'd want to be associated with. But to look at them only that way would be to miss the purpose for which God includes them in his family. It's very clear that Matthew has a spiritual and theological purpose in this genealogy. To remind us that despite the scandals that characterize the lives of many we find in this genealogy, they were also his people. They were also saints and characterized by their faith. To remember them for their scandals would be to remember them wrongly and to put ourselves at odds with Scripture. Because despite what they did in their lives that was scandalous, we're reminded in Hebrews 11 that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Rahab are all to be regarded first and foremost as people of faith who believed in the promises of God who were sure of the things that he had promised that they did not see and put their faith in trust in those things. And even the other people on this list, even though they, even though they aren't included maybe in the, in the people of faith in Hebrews 11, they, they showed their kind of faith by the lives they lived later. Judah departed from his sins and was willing to give his own life to protect the life of Benjamin, his brother. Tamar, despite her sin, was clinging to being part of the covenant family of God and would not return to her Canaanite family. Same with Ruth, who clung to Naomi and the people of God and God himself and would not return to her own people. Right? These people showed either by their faith or by their fruit that they belonged to God, that they, they considered being part of his family more important than anything else. And these are the people that Jesus is in their family. These are the people that Jesus is descended from. Um, Maybe it shouldn't have been so surprising that he ate with sinners and tax collectors because he was descended from them. They were his family and he was not ashamed to call them his family. Isn't that good news for people like us? Isn't that good news that God is not ashamed to call us his family for Jesus' sake? That Jesus came into the world to make people like these part of his family, part of the family of his father. Um, That people like this belong in the family of the Lord. I hope that is a comfort to us. Because there's none of us who people might not first look to and say, that's a surprise that person's in the family of God? Um, It might be a surprise to us, but it's not a surprise to God. And that's not how God regards you if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. How does God regard you as part of his family, as his child whom he loves? That's good news. Jesus came into the world to make us part of the family of God to enable us to be adopted into that family, to become part of that family tree that we might live and be family of his, sons and daughters of the king 
and brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news for people like us. The genealogy reminds us that the promises have been fulfilled through a particular people who are all on a pilgrim path. Um, What is the thing that comes across as we think about these names and about the history of God's people that these names represented to us? We can think about the path that these people walked in their lives. Some of whom we know well, some of whom we don't know well. Um, right, there are names on this list that we know a lot about, and there are names on this list that we know little or next to nothing about. But we know the times in which they lived, and we can think about the pilgrim path that leads to Jesus Christ that's represented by these first names. That the path these people walked was a searching path. That many of these people walked a pilgrim path that was a searching path as they sought for a homeland. As we think about the names on this list, we're reminded about how many of them were sojourners who did not have a home of their own and were seeking a homeland. Um, We can think of what Jacob said when he met with Pharaoh in Genesis 47. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not yet attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. It's interesting to me that when when Jacob is asked, how old are you? His answer is, I've been sojourning for 130 years. And I've not been sojourning as long as my fathers were sojourners. That generation was a sojourning generation. They had no homeland The only property they owned was a grave. Um, They were sojourning. They were looking for a homeland. This this list of names reminds us of that, that sojourning. It reminds us that they went from sojourners to being slaves. Right, That sojourning people was enslaved in Egypt. And really, the period of time represented from Perez to Abinadab in this list. A few short names represent centuries of slavery. That first they were searching for a homeland and then they were searching for freedom. Searching from relief from the iron furnace. This is a people still on a pilgrim path. And when the Lord set them free from slavery at the time of Moses, really at the time of Nashon in this list of names, They went into the wilderness and were searching for a promised land. They were still a people searching. Um, And we know that Nashon was part of that wilderness generation that left Egypt. We read in 1 Chronicles 2.10 that Nashon was the prince of the sons of Judah. He was the leader of the tribes of Judah in the wilderness. And we know that that people died in the wilderness. That generation did not see the promised land. Nashon on this list of names was probably one of those people who died in the wilderness, in sight of the promised land, but never entering in. And it was his son Salmon who finally would enter the promised land um, and who would marry Rahab. Um, And we remember that then that was the time where God's people were searching for peace. 
that that was a time of war. Um, Rahab reminds us of the conquest that God's people were seeking to come to peace in the land that God had given them. And the peace that came under Joshua and Rahab's time didn't last very long because by Boaz's time, they were living in the time of the judges. Right? Boaz represents, uh, we read most about Boaz in the book of Ruth. And Ruth, the book of Ruth begins that that was the days when the judges ruled. That's not a happy period of time to think about. Because what was true of when the judges ruled, it was a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes and there was no king in Israel. They were searching for a place. They were searching for freedom. They were searching for peace. They were searching for rest. And when did it come to God's people? When were they finally in their own home at peace? It was by King David's hand. It was David who was given rest from his enemies and settled his people. They found rest under the hand of the king. That's one of the great reminders of this this history that comes. It's a great reminder of where that pilgrim path finally led. It led to the prosperity and peace of David's kingdom. Uh, that, That first great epoch of History that's recorded for us here for theological purposes. It begins with sojourners and it ends with a king reigning in his own land, at rest from his enemies, secure in his kingdom. It's a wonderful picture. And if everything had ended there, we might be able to say, and they lived happily forever after. Uh, But it doesn't end there, does it? Uh, The line goes on, and this royal line that came to crowning in David will come to collapse in David's sons and will be in ruins after the exportation to Babylon. What this is crying out is for a king who will bring his people home and will give them a peace that lasts. And that's what none of these people on the list was able to do, to come home and to build a kingdom and give freedom, and make it a place that would last. And that's the promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a king who will settle wanderers in a home. He's a king that will set the prisoners free, and they'll never be enslaved again. He's the king who will bring a peace that lasts forever. That's the glorious promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise of who's come. The son of David who will do what David couldn't do. Rule and reign forever. And bring a a peace and a freedom and a home that will last. And it shouldn't be surprising that Jesus will do that because he was in all of those Old Testament events. Jesus was there as the angel of the Lord before his incarnation, walking with his people through all of those events. He was the God who saw them through their sojourning. And he was a God who brought them through the wilderness. And he was the commander of the Lord's army that fought before them in the promised land. He was the angel of the Lord who was always with his people. 
And Matthew is saying in a glorious way, and now he's come into the world. The king has come as he promised. The Lord is reigning in the midst of his people. And it means for his people peace and glory and hope forevermore. That's what this genealogy is teaching us. That's what it means to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has come into the world. The king that God's people were looking for has come to reign in their midst. And we're to put our faith and trust in that king. Matthew is saying this is what all of God's word has been pushing towards, the coming of this king. He's the fulfillment of the promise. He's what everything has been leading to. And if you miss him, there's nothing else coming. There's no future great generation coming. There's no future great king coming. You miss him, you've missed everything. And Matthew writes this because he doesn't want us to miss it. And the Spirit has preserved this word to us to this day that we might hear it so that we don't miss it. So that we recognize the king we're looking for has come. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, sent to save his people from their sins and to rule and reign as king. I hope you see him as king. I hope you trust in him as king and know that he will set you free and settle you in a home and give you a peace that will last forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew and the inspiration of the Spirit, giving us this genealogy that helps us to see spiritually and theologically what the coming of Jesus Christ means. We pray, Lord, that we might understand it aright, and most of all, that we might put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to build a kingdom for his people. We thank you that he ever lives to rule and reign now and that he is coming again soon in glory to make all things new. How we look forward to the coming of his kingdom and how we thank you for the kingdom that has come. Pray that all here might put their faith and trust in him and enjoy the blessing of being part of your family and the part of his kingdom. Help us and hear us for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.